0: Welcome to the HSCT Warriors podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry-Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your story with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I kind of already know you. I've just been listening to your podcast nonstop recently. So, uh, you know, just hearing your voice, it feels like I'm listening to an old friend or something.
0: Thank you yeah. so much for listening. And I'm sure curious to know how you found the podcast, how you found HSCT, but let's start with your diagnosis story.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I was diagnosed in 2006. Well, I guess I should say I was a suspected diagnosis. I was, um, I just finished undergrad in May and that August I woke up one day with, um, some blurred vision I um it almost felt like um you know how you get like shampoo in your eye or something in your eye and the vision's just a little bit hazy mm. um and I as the day was going on it was just becoming more and more blurred and I'm sure many of the listeners and you know what that was you know it, it ended sure. up being an Neuritis, Um, and I got diagnosed pretty quickly because my um, my mother did medical billing for an ophthalmology and optometry office. So, you know, the second I was having something going on with my eyes, she, you know, called the office. They got me in for um, they did what's called a visual field, Um, and then uh, one of the doctors took a look at my optic nerve and. Um, you know, probably had a pretty good idea about what was going on and um they sent me immediately for an MRI. And then um I'll never forget, I was sitting in the um, neurologist's office with my mom and she must have the, the doctor she worked for must have probably already kind of told her what he, he thought it most likely was. So yeah. she she kinda already knew. So, so I, f- I feel terrible for her to having to like hang on to that knowledge and, and act like everything was okay. Um, but I remember sitting in the, in the doctor's office saying, cause I, I had just finished my undergrad, like I said, and I had, um, inherited a little bit of money and I, I was planning on going to Europe for, for a month. So I was like, you know, half jokingly to my mom, which, you know, this isn't something to joke about, but I was like, if I have a brain tumor, I don't care. I'm still going to Europe. Right. You know, I've been looking forward to this trip forever. And you know, so she she kind of just laughed she said, You'll you'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. And then um we went in to the neurologist and um she said, you know, um, it looks like you've you've had an optic neuritis and we've, you know, reviewed your MRI and there is a, um, a lesion on there. So, you know, it's possible that you have multiple sclerosis at the time. I don't think I fit the full criteria for a definitive diagnosis um, because I think the criteria or at least they were going with at the time I had to have a, like a separate lesion develop or something after that um or i could have had a a lumbar puncture and the thought of that at the time um, was awful so i was like um no thank you um but i'll never forget also that the uh, neurologist was like well i'm leaving for hawaii for two weeks for like her anniversary and you know awesome great for her but you know i just got hit with that diagnosis and they they um you know, I, I kind of sat there for a moment and just digested it and actually broke down in in the office and and my mom was crying. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a lot to digest as a 22 year old, you know, just finishing undergrad, getting ready to pretty much start their life. Um, and, you know, I, I, I got past that and they, um, ended up putting me on IV steroids and I, I pretty much had a full recovery. Like I, I remember like, so I went on to Europe and, you know, if I got a little bit overheated on the trip, um, my vision would act up a little bit, but as soon as my body temperature cooled down, it would return completely to normal. So I was very lucky because I know a lot of people that, um, have had optic nerves that have incomplete recovery. And so, so that was kind of, it for me after that I was you know advised to you know I I got established I think with a different neurologist after that and they were talking about um you know right at the time it was just interferons was the um was the treatment and um and they were going through you know how it can make you feel like you have flu-like symptoms and feel sick and again I'm I, I was I think I was a stupid twenty-two year old just in denial, thinking, you know what, I I made a full recovery. Um, I feel fine now. I said I'm I don't I don't think I want to go on medication right now. I think if something were to ever happen again, maybe I will consider it, but I will um I will follow up regularly with MRIs. And um I did so for about probably Two or three years after, and like the first couple, there had been no activity, and then there was one where there was like, "Oh well, it's so small; it's really hard to tell if it was a lesion." So I, I kind of fell off it, quite honestly. So your um,
0: MS I, was quiet at first. Yeah, it,
1: it was. Well, at least, at least, yeah, like symptomatically, or at least to 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 my knowledge at the time, because I had. I had finished undergrad and I had taken a year off, um, and I knew I wanted to go into healthcare. So ironically, like after the optic neuritis, I, um, I, I, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. So I, um, was like, I, I think I want to go into eye care and I was, um, I was, um, interning at, at the office that my mom worked at. So when I was, you know, looking into either optometry or ophthalmology and everything, I um I ultimately decided um to um go to optometry school. So I, I studied for um, my entrance exam and and started the year following. So I am now an optometrist. Nice. Um, I guess yeah. And so I guess, yeah, things were, things were very quiet thing. And if I'm diving too deep into this, feel, feel free to stop me. Oh but, gosh. um,
0: no, I think it's super helpful for anyone listening.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think all the pieces were in the right place. Cause like I've been, you know, again, listening to other people who just had to go through months and even years of this, this torture of not knowing what was wrong with them. Um, whereas I got this, this kind of, Big diagnosis right off the bat, but I, I guess again just went into a little bit of denial. And because I had made a full recovery and was feeling so great, I just kind of went on with my life. And you know, I my program was a you know, four year doctorate after undergrad, which was stressful and intense. And then, um, two years into that, my mom um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine the amount of stress um, that was on my shoulders being in such an intense program. You know, my mom sick and unfortunately passing, you know, two years later. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, no. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the time we had and I'm grateful that she had so much time because usually with a diagnosis like that, it can go pretty quickly. Um, and school is actually, I think, a, a kind of good distraction from that too. You know, I was, I was away from home. So I I think I was, I was shielded from, you know, a lot of the stuff that she went through, which is too bad. But I think for me, it was a good thing. So, so yeah, so this is, I get through that, get to two, let's see, that's 2012 is when I graduated and, you know, going through my mom passing and, you know, let's face it, we were working hard and playing hard when we're in school. So it's, you know, I was, I was getting little sleep. I was, you know, partying, um, you know, nothing crazy, but again, just doing things that young adults do when they're young. And I was in South Florida. So you can imagine that there was plenty of stuff going on. Um, and then, so I finished that and um, you know, I'd been working and, uh, my, I guess this would have been summer of 2016. I had gone out to visit my aunt and uncle over the summer. And my aunt, who's not blood related to me, has um, MS. So she would always kind of, you know, ask me how I was doing, follow up with me. And, um, you know, I said, you know what, Aunt Gail, I think I think I might be one of the lucky, you know, 50 percent that had an optic neuritis and doesn't have m s because i've gone you know this was now two thousand and seventeen, it had been eleven years without really anything to speak of happen, so uh, then oddly enough, uh, September of two thousand and seventeen was I, I think it was hurricane Irma that weekend we you know i live in, I live in Florida now I live in Jacksonville, uh, so the hurricane was coming through, and we That whole weekend, I was just like, oh, you know, my leg is really tight. I must have, like, worked out or something. I must have worked out too hard or I must not have stretched because I was a regular runner, um, you know, uh, probably three, four times a week, at least three miles. And um, so I, you know, after the hurricane passed and the weather had cleared, I said, you know, I'm just going to get back out, go for a run, just kind of stretch out my leg that's tight. And I made it a block and my legs started dragging and I just, I just knew immediately what it was. You know, I, I think in the back of my mind, I was like, this is a little bit weird, but I said, oh, it's nothing. I'll, I'll go for a run and work it out. Um, but as soon as my legs started dragging, I, uh, I remember stopping on the run and I, I called my friend, um, and colleague who works at at Mayo Clinic because I, I hadn't seen a neurologist in, in a number of years, but I said, um, I, think, um, I think I've had a flare. I went running and, and my leg is dragging and, and I really just can't continue to run after. Do you know any neurologists in the Mayo system or um, around that, that I could get connected with because I need to obviously look into this and, and probably get an MRI and, and, and check it out? And oddly enough, her, her dad has MS too. So, oh, uh, gosh. it's just so weird how like all these weird little connections of MS have been in, in my life. But, um, so yeah, I was like, summer, talking to my aunt, thinking, hey, maybe I don't have MS. And then, um, you know, a couple months later, that happened. So um, I got established with with a neurologist. And sure enough, there was um, activity in both my brain and on my spinal cord. And I think I remember it being described as extensive um, demyelination. So looking at that, I I probably had been having stuff for years. um, And I Knowing what I know now and being in the field that I'm in, I, I really kind of kicked myself a bit for saying, you know, we have this neuro reserve that my brain was probably just doing absolutely everything it could to make up for these maybe small flares that were happening all along. Because thinking back, like I I would run and there were days where I could run. Three miles, and there were days where I could run like six or seven miles, and it would just would I just get tired out, you know, and I couldn't figure out, gosh, why does it why does it seem to fluctuate so much? Or yeah, we always or, find was,
0: ways to rationalize, don't we?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Or like, you know, there'd be like a little bit of tingling in my leg or something like that. And I would just say, oh, maybe I didn't stretch well enough or something like that. So but yeah, like looking back, I I, knowing what I know now, I just wish that I had maybe continued following along with at least MRIs, So if if stuff had popped up, even that weren't that I was symptomatic at the time that I, I could have started something to have maybe not progressed to kind of where I am today um, because I started I started Jelenia um, following that that initial flare and um, I was really hopeful because you know from 2006 to 2017 all these new medications were on the market and um, you know so it it sounded like there were all these advancements and MS you know was such a manageable disease now and it's not such a, a big deal or a or a a sentence of immobility or, or having to not work anymore.
0: Yeah, that's what um, they like you to believe, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, kind of went into it with rose-colored glasses like, oh, well, this will just be like when I had the optic neuritis. I'll, I'll start medication, my, my leg will return to normal, and that will be that. Um, so, you know, I would kind of slowly tried to start to get back into running again and I, you know, I can jog a little bit, but I'd end up, you know, not even making it a full mile or just about a mile and then I'd have to walk afterward. So, you know, fatigue I was falling. Fatigue a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even know that I recognized it as, as fatigue at the time. I, like, I just, I, it was just like willing, like I, I would will, try and will my leg to work and it just wouldn't work. And it was such an odd feeling to be telling my body to do something and it just not cooperating. So, so it was, you know, I, so again, I was on, I was on Jelenia and I had, you know, had my follow-up MRI and my neurologist said, well, you know, it sometimes takes a a couple, you know, six to eight months to really kind of get a grasp of everything. So let's, Let's, you know, follow up in another six months. So this was probably now a full year after that initial flare. And I, I went into him to that office that day and I was just, I I was walking so slow. You know, I I just, I, again, kind of had with tears in my eyes. I was like, I feel like I've aged 50 years in this past year. Um, I was like, I, I, I feel like I'm an old man. Um, Whereas a year ago I was Jogging, you know, three miles a day. Um, I was like, this can't, this can't be it. This can't be, um, it can't be working. Or, or this, we get, we got to try something else. So, sure enough, you know, I had had another MRI. He didn't do anything of my spinal cord. It, it was just my brain at, at the time. And 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 sure enough, there was activity. Um, so he discussed, um, well, we could try. Lemtrada, we could try Ocrevus and just like on your your other podcast, they kind of give you all these slew of medications and, mm. and, and a list of, of meds to pick from. And you're going through and reading about all the side effects and you're just like, geez, you know, um,
0: how do I make the choice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, again, reached out to my friend who's, whose dad has MS. Um, and she, she mentioned that he was on Tech Fidera, Um, and so I said, okay, well, it, it sounded like Tech Fidera wasn't on the, on the table for me after failing Jelenia. So, um, I was kind of left between Ocrevus and Lumtrata. Um, and he had given me, he said he had a couple patients in Lumtrata that he, are on Lomtrada that he described were now in remission um, but I you know looked at at the however small the side effects were you know the potential for like your carotid artery like shredding or something like I don't know if you've ever read about the some of the weird obscure side effects mm. that can happen that are deadly with Lamtrada never mind the you know monthly follow-up and whatnot afterwards so so I spoke to my friend and she spoke to, the the folks in in the neurology department and they're like oh well that's that's usually kind of like the last big gun if nothing else is working um, because it can kind of impact your ability to have further treatments with other stuff if anything were to pop up later so I said no to Lemtrada and um, had been on or have now been on Okravis for I just had my third infusion in let's see it was April but all along, I have just been, you know, slowly progressing um, or I, I don't even want to say progressing. It's just um, my, my mobility has, has gotten worse. Like I used to be able to, you know, walk around the block with no problem. Um, now I almost don't do that much anymore. Um, when I, in our office, we walk our patients up to the front. I now will make sure to have the patients walk in front of me because I can't, hide my limp anymore. Right. Uh, so it's just, um, it's one of those things that, uh, it, it, everything had kind of come to a head. Um, and I, I was thinking again, this can't be it. Like what's, what's next. And I think, um, uh, something had popped up in either my Instagram or in my Facebook about that Selma Blair documentary that that's coming out, I Mm -hmm. guess, I I think this month actually is when it's going to be released. But, um, I was just like, wow, I was like, this seems like a very intense treatment, but it seems like for her, it, it seemed to be working well. But I, I kind of just chalked it up to, you know, that's probably not something that that's for me. Um, but I, I had, I think I put that post on like the Ocrevus forum and, someone commented on it who had had HSCT. And I, I just reached out to her immediately and was like, please tell me, tell me more about your story. Tell me more about this, because I thought it was something for a celebrity or something that, you know, if you had tons of money that, you know, you might be able to, to do this. Um, So that's kind of what opened the door to HSCT for me.
0: Gee whiz. So it's really recent that you've even found out about it.
1: Gosh, like I'm at probably maybe knowing about it for like two months now and I'm already scheduled for Mexico in January. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, like,
0: so what convinced you?
1: I just um, I saw my life passing by. Um I well oh and of course you know I have this flare in 2017 and and me and my husband say hey let's have kids you know <laughs> of course so let's, let's let's add let's add no sleep and more stress to my life you know um, but um, so but you know that that's just an aside but uh, you know now that I have a, a two and a half year old and a thirteen month old and and seeing like how much I want to be able to participate in the things that they do and summers down in Florida are terrible, you know, for someone with MS. the heat. Oh my gosh. Like I just, I literally, it's like I'm running on low battery constantly. Mm. Uh, So, and and my husband as well said, you know, I I never want to say anything to upset you, Mike, but like think back uh, to where you were in 2017 and to where you are now. Like things are, are not, things are not under control. Things are not, you know, you never really you always wish for better, but you don't expect better. You just expect right. stability Yeah, um,
0: to some degree. And meanwhile, all the time, things are technically getting worse, even if we don't notice it. Right. The right. disease does not stop.
1: Yeah. And in this case, it's just been a very slow, insidious um, decline like so slow that unless I just sit back and look at where I was a year ago and say wow I can't do this anymore I can't do that anymore so I so I had I had a follow-up appointment with my neurologist like just when I had had really dove into HSCT and I was really excited to bring it up to him and because at that point I was having a conversation with him too saying you know if if this is still not working, like what's next? And right. then the odd thing was he, he brought up a medication that was to me, or at least as far as, um, I know is a weaker or not as, as much of a big gun as Ocrevus or Lumtrata is. So he said, well, if, if this isn't working, we might put you on Tysabri. And, um, I was like, well, you know, I am, JC positive, uh, you know, very low numbers. But in my mind, I'm like, why, why are All we right. stepping through a weaker medication, which has this risk? So I, you know, I brought up to him, I said, you know, I've been doing a lot of um, reading about HSCT, and he just kind of glazed over it. And I, you know, brought it up again. And then I brought it up again, and finally kind of addressed so he said, well, I've, I've had, I know two patients that have had it, and one of them has 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 not been in remission or something like that. So in my mind, I'm like, well, heck, that's 50 percent, though. You know, right. and of your of your um, extensive study of two, All that's 50 percent. Right. Right. You know, I was like, that's heck, I'll take those chances. You know what I mean? But still, when your doctor tells you, or just kind of, you feel he's a, he, you know, he's a very nice guy. Like he's really. Um, he's compassionate to, to kind of where, where I'm at with my situation and stuff. But at the same time to just feel kind of not taken seriously and then to be offered an an option that seemed less effective. I was just, I I left there deflated. I was just like, wow. Okay. So I really do have to just do this and go about this on my own. So I, you know, have, have been diving into all the forums, um, uh, that are available on Facebook and communicated with a bunch of people and uh, had applied to the BMS ms trials and got connected with the Colorado Blood Cancer Institute. So the wheels are still turning with those things. But um, just the more I've read about myeloablative versus non-myeloablative, um, I, I think non milo ablative makes more sense just for my situation with my family and you know one having to be gone for a month is going to be challenging enough never mind three months and then the huge recovery that's going to follow either of them really so at at this point you know unless something sways me within the next couple weeks because I have to make my final payment um, on November 3rd I'm I'm going to Mexico.
0: And so where in Mexico, Puebla or Monterey?
1: We chose Monterey because um, at this point we're thinking just my husband will come with me. But at the time we were tossing around, well, maybe maybe we split the time um, and then have my my father and, and his wife come down. Um, but it's just such a tricky thing. One with COVID, then like the neutropenia yes. stage. It's right. just like, ugh, it's really I don't know how that could really be done safely. So it's it's almost side. Decide- well so anyway, the reason we chose Monterey is because they were bigger apartments and if we were gonna do that switch, um, you know, my dad and, and his wife could have have their own space and it's just a little bit bigger and with with covid i don't think the rooftop you have yeah, access to it a space, right the... yeah um so at least the uh, monterey apartments have your own balcony um so so that was ultimately it it would be big enough for my husband who's an attorney to have his space to to work if he needed to um and to have space you know if uh my dad and his wife come down, um, but th- that's kind of a big question mark at this point because there's I just can't see a way to do that safely.
0: Sure. And so, what right. about the kids? How are you arranging yeah. for long term childcare with someone?
1: Yeah. So, um, my mother in law is very involved in in our lives. She lives about an hour from from where we live. So, really, for the first year of each of our children's lives, she uh, she. Would stay home with the the baby during the week, um, and then we sent them off to um, they're in daycare right now. So so yeah, she'll she'll likely come up for the time when I'm gone. And and my dad said, you know, listen up, I'll be here for whatever you whatever you need me for. If you need me to go to Mexico, or if you need us to just come down and help with the kids. And my husband's, the rest of his family is, is all in Florida nearby. So we've got a great, great support system. It's beautiful. I'm just, I'm so lucky when it comes to that stuff that, I, you know, I just, I, I can't be more grateful. Um,
0: it's so important to help take your mind off right. that concern for yeah. your kids because you want them to be cared for. And of course, it'll feel like a blip in time. To them yeah. being so young, right? Like
1: well, absolutely. And, and oh, and my my brother and sister in law just moved about forty five minutes away. So they're gonna you know, they're around too. You know, that I'm I'm from just outside the Boston area and for, you know, the entirety of the time that I've lived in Florida, all my family has been up north. So it, it's pretty wild to have, have them so nearby with their their daughter now too. So um so yeah, there's there's lots of people, thankfully, that will be here in you know, whatever capacity we need them for for while I'm gone.
0: Sure. Well, and that's brilliant that they're so supportive. I'm curious how you introduced HSCT as the option you were choosing to them and how how you got them on board.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm not even sure that it's so much the HSCT. It was it was, you know, as it is with most people, the hurdle of Mexico. You're going to go to Mexico for a blood yes. trans, a blood uh, a stem cell transplant. Are you crazy? Um, and that was more my own hang up at first. Um, and just like everyone else that I've heard, you know, you do your research about Dr. Ruiz and you know his his time at Mayo Clinic and just everyone who's been there, the experience that they've had, talking about how they feel like they've received better care there than they have in you know their their country whether it be the US or the UK um so that's really put a um that's put my mind at ease and honestly i i think um everyone else just kind of knows or can, has seen my decline and has has just you know kept it to themselves cuz who who wants to hear that you know right. who wants their um so probably in their mind they're like well he's got to do something something's got to be done if you know if if there's if there's something that can stop this we just have to to go for it um so everyone's kind of open reception to this for me um really just kind of shows me too much how much probably i have declined um and how much people have you know not said anything, at least to me, because they don't want to upset me, you know?
0: Sure. And maybe that's all in your head.
1: Yeah. And it's true. But and I think a lot of that is because, you know, another thing, too, that really has come to the surface recently is my anxiety is just running my life because COVID has almost been a shield for my decline. You know, there's people, my friends that I have not seen, and before probably about a year, year and a half ago, I could I could pretty much hide um, my inability to to walk very well or um, or or the fatigue. Um, but now it's almost like having to, you know, I came out as a gay man many years ago, but now I'm having to come out almost mm. monthly to um, new people that are in my life Um that either hey I have MS or how do I go about telling people I have MS because it's just such an emotional thing to have to bring up every time you know so and
0: people don't really don't understand
1: no no and you don't want you don't want to drop that bomb or, or in what forum do you drop that bomb on people you know I'm still navigating that too it's like hey I don't want to just be out with them and say yeah hey, I'm limping around because I have MS okay let's just continue on with lunch or you know. So I've been, you know, really the people that are in my inner circle that I maybe haven't seen in a while. I'll, I'll just send them a, a message saying, "Hey, you know, I'm okay, but you know, you might notice that I, I move a little bit differently now, and and the reason being is because I have MS and stuff like that." And you know, of course, everyone is is so supportive, but it's a good way to just kind of drop that bomb, um, and kind of let them ask any questions that they may have beforehand without making anyone uncomfortable when I see them for, for the first time, you know?
0: That's so gracious Uh, of you.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's almost to protect myself too, because I'm not Mm -hmm. the best at hiding my emotions. So if I get upset, um, I, I, I'm not very good at, at just, you know, talking through. And the last thing I want to do is start crying in front of people that I haven't seen in a while, you know? Sure. Um, so it's almost, it's, it's almost for, for me that I'm doing it too, you know? But I, and I, I, you know, again, what has pushed to take this extreme measure is I said to my husband, I said, you know, I feel like all the things that I used to enjoy in my life, I don't enjoy anymore because I'm anxious about, not doing it you know like traveling or um, meeting meeting up with friends you know all the things that i thrive off of i have kind of pulled back from because of oh am i going to be able to do this am i going to be holding people up you know um it just it steals the joy out of it so it sure um, does. yeah it's just really gotten to the point where i was like either one i'm going to have a mental breakdown And, you know, I've started talking to someone, too. That's been a huge help is just um, therapy, um, which is, again, also been within the past six weeks because I was I was I was having like borderline panic attacks on a on a daily basis. Um, And it was just getting worse and worse. Um, So I just had, you know, everything came to the point where it's funny how HSCT popped up in, you know, one of my news feeds that. That now I have, I have a realistic hope, you know, I don't, not that I'm necessarily going to be any better than I am now, but at least there's maybe the possibility that we can stop things where they are.
0: Wouldn't it be so great?
1: I, I would be, I would be, I can live my life this way. You know what I mean? I can I live my myself
0: life. the same exact thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, even like, I think a lot of people's heat sensitivity, like I can hobble around, I can limp around and, and have a good laugh at myself, you know, hobbling around, you know what I mean? But just knowing that I'm not on this very slow decline. Well, and I think that's the other thing too, is I'm not, it would almost, and I, I don't wish this, I, I don't, hope this for myself, but it would almost be easier if something had happened where all of a sudden I was in a wheelchair and that's that, you know right. what I mean? I'm in this weird limbo where I can manage most stuff um, fairly normally, but the amount of stress and strain that it takes just sort of the mental fortitude to try and appear as normal as possible is, is exhausting.
0: Absolutely <laughs> exhausting.
1: So so yeah I'm just yeah
0: fortitude is such a good word.
1: Yeah, I mean it it it's, it's really um you know, I know you always ask people about a superpower and mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm at a superpower stage yet, but I I think I've just realized about myself that I I I have the ability to push myself farther than I thought. But there's there's a limit to that, too, you know, um, and I think I've also realized I've hit my limit <laughs> sure. and I need to start opening up and telling people I need help or there are certain things that I can't do.
0: It's such a tough place to get to. And yeah, and yeah, it's so humbling, right, to like finally realize, wait a second, I do have these limitations because you yeah. it's like you wake up every day and you have to find whatever strength Mentally and physically, just to make it through the day. Absolutely. (laughs) And so then to like, have to ask for help. Well, that's a whole nother piece of capacity that we just it's, I don't know if it's something about MS, or if it's just a shared human thing, right, but it's so tough to ask for help.
1: Absolutely, and um, oh, and I guess I also have to mention my boss, too, you know, I'm in a small private practice, and I've been open with her since you know there was that that flare in two thousand seventeen, and you know again, I've been struggling quite a bit recently, um and there was there was a morning where I actually had to call into work and I was like, my legs are just not working um they're not working, um but I think. I think that was the underlying stress and anxiety that ha- that I had going on. You know, I, di- I didn't know at the time if it was another flare or something like that. But a- as you know, and I think it sounds like a lot of your issues are with like spasticity and stuff with, with your legs. As you know, if you're, yeah. you're stressed, you wear it on your, you, you can't hide it. When someone's stressed, you naturally tense up, but they, they can manage that. When someone like us is stressed out, you become the tin man, you know?
0: And it gets even worse.
1: Yeah. Cause I remember you saying in one of your conversations, like, you always want, I want people to be walking in front of me. I don't want anyone yep. walking behind me. Um, I I want to walk at my own pace um, because then it, I don't feel like I have to keep up because if I have to keep up or I feel like I have to keep up, I'm going to stress myself out. I'm going to walk more poorly. And then there's a higher risk of me tripping and falling over myself, yeah. you know.
0: Or someone behind me, right? Then yeah. I know they're exactly. watching me and then they're judging, yeah. like. Well, why yep. do they, Why is she even trying to walk? And why doesn't she yep. just get a wheelchair? Oh,
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah. And because that, we're doing
0: our best to continue life as normal.
1: Exactly. That's a, And that's, I think, been my biggest hurdle. I, you know, I picked up hiking sticks and I've and I'm, I, I'm currently off on Mondays. So like there will be days if I'm having a tough day, I'll kind of pull them out. But I don't I also don't find them super helpful um, either. Um and i and i'm also and i'm not saying this is the right approach for everyone but i i just i feel like if i keep i if i keep moving and keep pushing myself that's going to be m- my biggest um benefit you know i i almost feel like if i fall back on something that that's even going to add to my decline but that's just in my head you know I, that's probably not the case but i because i if, if i could just hop in a scooter and that would take away so much stress like if I wanted to go out with my friends just hop in that chair and then I don't have to worry about it you know what I mean but I really while I can move like I can move I don't want to do that yet I don't know if that makes sense
0: makes total sense absolutely that makes sense in fact like I've resisted that level of assistive device for so long because movement is memory like muscle memory right. motor memory right. our brain needs that Continued movement to remember how to yep. walk, right? Right. And the last thing you want to do is give up that that memory.
1: Yeah, and and I certainly don't take it from anyone who's needed it because I realistically, I probably I probably need something, but I'm just still fighting that good fight because I'm somewhat able to you know
0: <laughs> absolutely I know exactly what you mean I'm sure listeners do as well and there's something to be said for supporting yourself right Right. Like, with the assistive devices that make the most sense for you and so if you're not finding the comfort or the support that you need with the trekking poles then yeah I totally yeah. understand why you wouldn't be leaning on them all the time yeah yeah it's such, a, it's such a tricky balance to figure out what works, what doesn't, how mm-hmm. to, how to find comfort in the new space as right. every day is so different with this disease.
1: Absolutely. And it's so different for everybody. It's not like you can yeah. call someone up and be like, oh, well, what did you do that helped you? Because it's, it's not like you say, it's the snowflake disease. It's not for sure everybody's different.
0: So why was it important for you to participate in the podcast?
1: Um, Just because I found so much of, again, I think it was just a time and the place that your podcast came into my life. Um, I was at such a point of hopelessness um, and in such kind of a bad mental place that I was able to, you know, I had just discovered this, this procedure and to, you know, this is such a. A niche topic, too, you know what I mean It's not like I almost didn't think like, oh, I could never find something to find out more information about this and sure enough, <laughs> there here comes your podcast. Someone posted it um, on one of the comments because I'm always asking questions on these forums now as it's getting closer um, and and someone posted your podcast and I was like, Wow, I was like, there's a whole podcast for people who have been through this or thinking about going through this. And I literally, again, started maybe six weeks to two months ago. And I started at episode one, season mm-hmm. one, with well Allie Strong. I on my way to work, on my way home from work, picking up the kids. You were playing in my car. Oh. So I just and and even on my like worst day, I would hear about the positive things are, are just that you're not, you're not alone, you know, you don't, know? yes. cause you're, you're right. You can't talk to other people. Well, you can, and everyone in your family, if you have a supportive family wants to be there for you in any way they can, but they don't know what it's like. They don't know the demons that you're battling every day.
0: Mm, that is the truth.
1: Um, So while they want to be there and they'll be there in any way they can, you also don't want to burden them with that too, because I, I don't, I don't think anyone would say I'm a burden, but I I put that on myself because, you know, you know, you all you all we all have these people in our lives that um, there's always something. Woe is me. And it gets it, it gets tiring. You know, it, it, I don't I don't want to be that person to and someone yes, else.
0: Yes, exactly. And it's so hard to describe sometimes. Yeah. To anyone I, and, who hasn't lived it.
1: Yeah. Like I can think like perfect example this summer, like again, my, my husband and some people would be out in the pool and like, it would just be too hot for me. And I'd go to the bedroom and I would just cry. I would just cry, get myself together and then go back out, you know, (laughs) um, just to have that release. You know what I mean? Just because Mm. you're so mad at yourself for not being able to do what you want to do.
0: Even though it's not your fault.
1: No, and you know it's not your fault, but it doesn't change the outcome.
0: Right, and it doesn't make it any easier.
1: No, it doesn't make it any easier. It almost makes it worse because you are out of your control of your own body.
0: It's such a tricky thing to balance.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's good to connect with you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, well, thank you. And so are there any like tough decisions or barriers that you're facing as you prepare to go in a couple months?
1: Um, So there are... Yeah, I was thinking about this. There are really three main concerns I have. Like right now, I feel like I've been really trying to read as much as I can about um secondary progressive MS because I I had an MRI recently that um there was no new active lesions, but an area in my cerebellum had enlarged. So to me, you know, not being a radiologist and or anything like that, but to me, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that means there was activity at some point, just not when I had the MRI done. But mm. if it is, if I am transitioning to secondary progressive, um, I know that, you know, lowers the, the percentage. I, I don't even think in the US they would treat you if you were... Unless you are what on a compassionate basis, but um, I know it lowers the success rate of of the procedure, um, so that's probably one of my biggest concerns right now. I do have an MRI tomorrow actually, for my cervical and thoracic spine, so in a weird way, i'm almost hoping for some something to something to flare up, you know what I mean, something to show that there's yes. still activity, and it's such a sick thing to hope yes. for but um to because the alternative, if things are quiet, but you know you're getting worse, does that mean that I'm now secondary progressive because then I start to think too, um, well, no, maybe it's not you know i've I've had damage to my leg my my nerve does not function, my gait does not function, I don't walk the same way, so maybe it's not necessarily a a progression of like worsening without inflammation, maybe it's just atrophy to those muscles that are weak that I'm not using properly and I'm not exercising the way that I should. So keep yourself
0: on that path.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's my hope. Um, So that's probably one of my concerns. Um, My second concern is that there's been this kind of anecdotal um, news about people's spasticity worsening um, after HSCT. And since spasticity is really like my biggest problem, that really scares me. I mean, again, it, even if things got a little bit worse in that on that side of things, but just knowing that things had stopped, I could almost live with that too. Yes. But at the same time, it's like, well, gosh, am I going to be going out or going out for this treatment and coming back worse? And, 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 and then the people who are maybe concerned in the background, not really speaking up saying, well, shoot, he went for this treatment in Mexico and now he comes back looking worse than he, 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 you know what I mean? And, and, you know, again, that's just, that's just me kind of worrying about what other people might think, but also too, I don't want to Come back worse than I came. I know. I know the roller coaster. I don't expect. You know. um, I know that the twelve months after are going to be tough, and I need to just ride that roller coaster. But the spasticity thing does scare me because it's such a problem for me already.
0: Sure. And so find ways to support the release and ease of that, even now, even if things do become complicated or difficult in the first couple years, even right that you have those ways to release even if it does get worse right over time eventually it it should also get better not because right. you're getting used to it but because the disease itself is not flaring exactly
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I have a great, you know, I've been I've worked with a physical therapist this past year who's a who's a neurophysical therapist who specializes in people with, you know, MS and other neurodegenerative diseases. So um, I hope, you know, I'm, I am I want to hit the ground running um, when I, you know, hit the ground running. Um, when sure. I right. Out. No, um, but that
0: makes sense. And even getting exercises to do while you're there because you're sedentary during treatment, right? Like, yeah.
1: Yes, that's another concern, too, is especially now with COVID, it's not like, you know, moving so much is is going to be limited. And, and I really have, you know, listened to people just walking on the podcast, walking around the hospital, just mm. keep moving to or going to ride the bike in the gym um, just to keep their body moving. And that's going to be pretty difficult because the gym is closed. They'll bring weights and like a mat and stuff for you. But like just the movement is is going to be limited um, during that period, either because I'm not not feeling well enough to do it, or because there, you just don't have the ability to get out and about like you, you would.
0: Sure, thanks to COVID.
1: Yeah, and then I guess um, the last concern is just really coming back afterwards, being around my my kids who are little germ factories anyway, and they're in in daycare, and you know we're both working. Um, you know, obviously I won't be working for a while when I come back, but, um, you know, just keeping myself safe during that, not only, well, and, you know, right before I go is going, going to be Christmas. I think I'm going to have to sit this Christmas out, you know, Mm, I'm going to have to, um, and I've already talked to my family about that. And we're, we're kind of trying to think about maybe every year my mother in law does a, a big Christmas party. Um, and you know, obviously that's, you know, limited now because of COVID anyway, but, um, I was like, I can't have Patrick and my kids go if I'm going to be leaving a week later. Even if I don't go, it would be the same as me going because then they're coming home to me anyway. You know what I mean? I need to just make that I'm in the best place I can be going there. Because who wants to fly down and get a cold? Who wants to fly down and test positive and then have to delay it after having to wash out from your medication, which you're maybe Thinking is your only thing keeping you <laughs>
0: right from afloat. <relapse, laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, so those are probably my three biggest concerns. Um, at that point, is like figuring out what to do when I get back with my kids being in daycare and how to keep myself um, as safe as possible as my as my infant immune system um, is is growing.
0: Sure, and you know, Doctor Bert. I assured me as I was leaving the hospital, like you're going to get sick. It'll happen and it'll take you longer to recover than most people, but that's also helping your immune system to grow and strengthen. So don't freak out if you get sick. Right. Those were, I think some of the most helpful words, right? Because my daughter was in school and I was super concerned about all the germs she might be bringing home and, you know, so she washed her hands as, she, as soon as she got home and even changed her clothes back then. And, and how old was
1: your daughter? You said she was seven she when you...
0: seven, yeah, in between okay. the two phases of transplant. And so not as young as your kids. And I know that <laughs> the little, little ones are sharing all kinds of toys and germs. Of
1: course. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: but like the hand washing, I mean, still to this day, as soon as we get home from school, first thing I do is send her to the bathroom. Wash her yeah. hands.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is a good practice in general, you know? Yeah. Well, um,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everyone should be doing this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Being in healthcare, me and my boss are like, what, what with COVID and everything? It's like, what? Um, we wash our hands all the time. What are people not doing? <laughs> you know, are you really not washing your hands after you use the bathroom, or you not washing your hands regularly? But that's another relief. About. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It re- or, or even if you just go to the restroom, I don't know. You know, I don't know if guys, girls are like guys, but you'll know, you'll go to the restroom, you'll see someone walk out after using the restroom without even going over the sink, and you're like, yeah. that is disgusting.
0: Yeah, I've <laughs> called people out for it before. Yeah.
1: Good for you. Yeah. Or even
0: just <laughs> shouted behind them. Like that's yeah. disgusting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know if they know I'm talking to them. Maybe yeah. subconsciously they might hear it. I don't know. But and that's not necessarily judgment. That's just hygiene.
1: Hygiene. Absolutely. <laughs> it, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um And my my boss is great, too. Like, she's just like, you will always have a place here as long as you want a place. So I have, again, going back to the support system, like I feel no, no stress in my life or my job, which I think a lot of people can feel when they're going into something like this. So it's really, it's just really my own mental block and stress of going into the unknown of a intense procedure.
0: Sure, Um, And it's hard to describe even that. Right, so yeah, as many yeah. interviews as we've done, right? Everyone goes through it so differently. It's it's even yeah. hard to describe there.
1: And I haven't even told I have I haven't told my neurologist yet. I was waiting till these MRIs come back to just kind of see what his take was on them. Even though I've already made up my mind what I'm doing, and I don't feel like he'll drop me. You know what I mean? But I I don't I, I don't think it'll be a warm and fuzzy go forth and conquer type thing either, you know, so it'll it'll be be,
0: interesting for sure, especially if you come back and everything goes great. And then you can be one of three patients, right? Right. To being successful.
1: That's hope. (laughs) (laughs) That's my hope.
0: And so it's great. You have such a support network around you to carry you through the next few months. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you aren't discounting Colorado. So are you just remaining open to a consultation to see like if you're even if you even qualify for their study? Because something yeah. else too i have learned is don't discount yourself. Don't give yourself the no and don't necessarily label yourself as secondary progressive, like leave that to the right. doctors.
1: Right. Well, so yes, I am. Um, I actually have a consultation next Friday with I get I've forgotten his name, the doctor over in Colorado. But um, just having seen my MRIs prior to um, Ocrevus, they already thought I would be a suitable candidate, and then I forwarded them along my um recent brain mri um which i don't know if that will change things given that there's technically no you know one could argue that okravis is doing what it's supposed to because there's no current activity sure. um you know and other than that enlargement in um the cerebellar region um which again, to me, tells me that something had happened at some point or maybe hadn't completely fizzled out when I had had that first MRI with with the activity there. So what it means right now, I just, I don't know. Um,
0: Was it the same MRI machine?
1: Yes, so it was the same MRI machine, yep. And I've always made sure of that, and it's at the same center too. Um, So so at least that factor has been removed as far as... um, you know, unless they've replaced their equipment, you know, since, but I don't, I don't know that they have. Um, But I remember they tried to put me in an open MRI once and I was like, I can't do that. They've told me it's like comparing apples to oranges if I were to go in the open versus the standard. So, you know, I've been pretty good about going to the same place and getting the same type every time since I've started again. So, so yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be again, interesting what the results of, of my cervical and thoracic Um, show after tomorrow. Sure. Um,
0: And maybe Ocrevus is doing its job. And I'm not sure if the qualifications or hurdles you have to pass to be accepted in Colorado include failing a disease modifying therapy. Right. Or not. And even if you hadn't failed Ocrevus, right, even if it was still working for you, if that would exclude you still from being accepted on a compassionate care basis, maybe not on study.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the fact that they're already telling me just knowing at the time I had just failed Jelenia at that point going based on those um, MRIs that had been submitted that I would they think I would be or meet the criteria to be a candidate. So maybe it maybe it's on a compassionate basis or or what, but um, just the fact that they do think I am. um, But I've also heard, too, that even if you are, then you've got the hurdle of insurance approval, which can push things out, um, you know, years, uh, <laughs> unless you're, I, I mean, I guess you can hire an advocate to try and really get on the insurance companies. Um, but I think at, at this point, I don't see unless things were to move super quickly. I've heard even, you know, Mexico will refund you the money if if plans change. But um, I, I, do, I don't see things moving quickly enough that it would it would dissuade me from going to Mexico at this right, point. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm still following and I, and I have an, I have a, a consultation with Cleveland clinic too. Um, so I'm still, I'm still following all the paths that I've, I've created for myself, but, um, you know, obviously, the, those things are a little bit slower moving. So, and time I, is I, brain health. Exactly. Well, and like I said in the beginning of our conversation, I, I kick myself because I. I think I did myself a disservice um, by sticking my head in the sand for 10 years, thinking nothing was going on where probably there was stuff going on. And I feel like I've already used up a lot of my reserve, which is why I feel like things since 2017 to 2021 have seemed to just become super active. Which is just crazy how that happens anyways, given all the stresses I had in my life, uh, in the times where I went where, where nothing happened, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, I do know. I'm right there with you. I definitely yeah. stuck my head in the sand too. So you're yeah. not alone.
1: Well, thank you. I you've certainly made me feel like I'm not alone just by listening to everybody uh, you know that you've spoken to. It really made me feel anything but alone. Which is, you know, the few times we'd spoken over Messenger, I just couldn't stress enough how how much this had helped me. And and I hope someone hearing me or hearing my story will say, "Hey, that was me too." You know. Yes, uh,
0: yes. I'm so grateful that you shared your story and that so many others before you have. Shared theirs as well.
1: Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable how this community is. Um, they really look out for each other. Like I said, I've, I've, I'm on the Okravis forum and I, I hate, that, you know, I'm not trash-talking anyone else, but it's just they're tiring. They feel like it's just always like woe is me and negative and I almost have to, I've almost thought about removing them because I just... Um, it it didn't seem positive for me you know i only had would reach out on them when i had a question specific to the medication or if anyone else had experienced it but um just hearing all the positivity on the different uh you know hsct forums or the two that i belong to one is the mexico one and then one is just the one of the general ones everyone is just so you know, hang in there, you got this, best decision I ever made, even if they didn't have like the the outcome that maybe they had hoped for. They're, I haven't heard really anyone saying, I wish I didn't do this. So yeah. unless those people have fallen out or are silent, um, which is possible, but I have not come across someone say, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I haven't seen that once.
0: I haven't either. And I've been Hanging out with people in this space yeah. now, gee whiz, since almost four years. Yeah. Um. It's, it's, I don't want to make excuses for people who are trapped in that negativity, but I think that's definitely a disease thing. Yeah. And a medicine thing, right? That, yeah. I mean, our brains become so affected in so many ways by the disease and the medications. And on a side note, or just going back to, your mention of working with a therapist. I'm so grateful that you found that support for your mental health too. Like, yeah, yeah it really. It's hard to, it's hard to even think about someone who's been through HSCT who hugely regrets having tried. Right.
1: Right. And it seems like it's, you know, in the beginning of a conversation, I talked about the small, Fatality risk with Lemtrata, Um and I, you know, I even said, well, "Why would I even bother doing that to myself?" And now I know, I know the risk that comes with this too. But lumtrada doesn't claim to halt the disease. lumtrada okay. just like all the other medications, can only claim to to slow it um, and slow the progression. So um, the fact that that there is something out there that can at least make that claim is worth the risk to me. You know. As small as it may be, um, and I hope i 'm not that statistic it certainly no one does, but um it just makes that risk more worthwhile knowing that i'm not going to go through something that that could could kill me but not work you know i mean sure. yeah, there's a the risk that it might not work, but it's it's the, it's the highest percentage i've seen of all the Things that I've read about versus the medications and and the treatment. So, and the medication's always there if I have to. And maybe something new will come out if something were to not go the way I hope with HSCT. Maybe that'll at least slow things long enough to sustain my quality of life until something else comes along.
0: That's always the hope, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, think of the beginning of my conversation and the people with who have were diagnosed sooner, like you had, you really had no options a, at a certain point. You just right. had to hope for the best. And then now there's what dozens or two or two dozen different medication options that are out there. So, you know, again, I don't know that medication is the answer, but there's stuff that at least is is going on as far as you hope people have the best intentions or or research has the best intentions of of people. I try not to get into that conspiracy theory that, you know, it's all about the money. But I know, I know Big Pharma, you know, has to make money and, and they're in it for the money. But I, I truly hope there are still people out there that are trying to make people's lives better as well.
0: Indeed. Also the hope.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's what you that's all you got to have is hope. I mean, because nothing is worse than feeling hopeless. And I and I'm I was pretty close to there, if not there, within the past couple of months. So I think this is just came in at the right time for me um you know whether you believe in god or whatever the the stars aligned for this to to come in into my life to just give me that one last push to not fall into that hole of of despair of okay well this just giving in to this is this is how my life is going to be
0: kind of letting the disease take over so right good for you for stepping up and into this space to try and take that control back
1: well, yeah. Thank you for the credit, but I think it was just—I think things fell in my lap at the right time because I—I I don't know that I was far from falling into that place. I think I was right on the edge of that cliff um, before before this happened for me. So you know, it gives me something to be hopeful of, for now, and at least hope for again, at least if nothing else, keeping me right where I am today.
0: Indeed. Well, I'm hopeful for you, HSET. Thank you. Hopeful.
1: Yes, hopefully, we'll be talking soon, and I'll be telling you all about my experience and what, all the wonderful things that came out of it. <laughs>
0: Indeed, of course. We're going to have to follow up and, and see how things go for you in Monterey.
1: Sure. Well, I look forward to it.
0: And I look forward to hearing great news about your experience. So please do stay in touch. I will. And so you stay in power and in good health. Thank you. And even though holidays will look a little different this year, that's okay, right? Because you're doing the good work of regaining a, a life that you're wanting to live.
1: That's right. Yeah, no, I know a a Christmas away from people will hopefully open the door for a lot more enjoyable Christmases to come or whatever holidays that other people celebrate who might be anxious about being around people because they're moving differently or feeling differently or, you know, so that's my point of view at this point. (laughs) That's
0: a good point of view to have. So, yeah, you hold on to that optimism and positivity and mindfulness, right? Because that's going to get you through a lot with HSCT. I sure will. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this.
1: Sure. Thanks.
0: So take good care and we'll be in touch.
1: All right. All right. You take care. Too, right. talk to you.
0: Be sure to visit HSCTwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode. Submit ideas or feedback and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allett-Sauser for sharing his superpowers to create, soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry-Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.